Um, hey, it's so good to see each and every one of you. Uh, we want to continue to pray for Pastor Charlie as he's away right now. We want to continue to pray for him. Um, I don't know if, if many of you got to know, but last week he unfortunately lost his sister, and he went to go serve and care for his family in the midst of that time. And you know, we're a congregation who prays and believes in prayer, and on top of that, we have some people in our congregation who are also going through some hardships. Um, if you know Braden, uh, he needs our prayer, and his mom Amanda needs our prayer as well, and um, the father Alex needs our prayer. Uh, I believe I've heard a positive report that's coming from that, but I, I want to continue to ask you, would you pray for this child Braden? in our congregation. And would you pray for all those who are gone right now at Fine Arts in Florida? We believe the Lord's going to represent uh, Evangel Temple well. We believe the Lord's going to be glorified through Fine Arts and through the General Council. And uh, just pray for that. Would you please be praying for that? Uh, when people who we love and care about are going through stress, maybe some difficulty, um, we want to believe that prayer works. We want to believe that God can do something amazing um, through those situations. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Pastor Nick. I'm an associate pastor here of Young Adults and also um, small group ministries. And I'm more than just the millennial who plays guitar on Sundays with the beard. Uh, so if you haven't had the opportunity to get to know me, uh, I'd really love to connect with you. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. And I'm, I'm grateful to serve at this church. Um, I'm grateful for a lot of things. <laughs> And one of those things is uh, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to, to share the word of God with you this morning. Um, Pastor Charlie reached out to me last week after finding out this news and asked me if I would preach in this um, service this morning, and I'm happy to do it. And I'm always grateful for the opportunity. You know, I, I think back to 2000, I believe it was 15, when I had the opportunity to, to preach my first sermon. I was at Central Assembly, and I was at a youth retreat of about maybe... 15 to 20 students. And I remember just walking up there and my hands were just doing the shaking really bad and my legs were about to give out. And guys, I was trying to drop so many like Old Testament puns, I can't even tell you. But I'm doing everything, I'm just pulling and giving and giving. But you know, when I look back at that time and I look to now, it's amazing how I've seen God develop me as a leader. Um, the things that he's done in my life to help develop me, the things that he's called out in my life and, and given words to others to speak into my life to help me develop as a leader. And I can't help but marvel at who I was before and who the leader is that God's brought me to today. And I'm sure that many of you can sympathize with me on that. Um, maybe you preached a sermon. Maybe you've just remembered who you were in middle school or high school and you're like, wow, the Lord has done some seriously great things um, and it's amazing to see that. You know, in Camdenton, I remember one story in particular, my time in high school. We had this really great program I'm super grateful for. It's called, you see, I'm grateful for things. Um, we had this program called A+. And in this program called A+, you could volunteer and do these hours. And if you did these hours, you would get some stipend, a little bit of money to go towards your college. Well, they did almost everything they could to get you set up on these hours. So I remember one time in particular, in high school, I was a junior or senior, and they asked me to go into this small group, not small group, you see, I always correlate church lingo into things. They asked me to go into this study hall, and in this study hall, they're like, hey, Nick, like, just to get you some hours, what we want you to do is we want you to help out students who are struggling academically. So if, if they need help with geometry, if they need help with algebra, if they need help with history, you're gonna be the go-to guy in that classroom. Guys, if you know me from high school, my strengths are in acting and music. 
There is no strengths in those particular areas for me. So I'm walking into this classroom completely unequipped. I have a lack of knowledge. And I'm sitting there, and every time a student asks me a question, I'm like, well, let's go to the textbook together and see what we can figure out. I didn't really set up those students for success. I don't think that the school really was able to set up those students for very much success either. And uh, that class just wasn't set up for success from the onset, that, that study group. And sometimes in history, we get to unfortunately see the negative effects of things from leadership more so than the positive, sometimes from bad leadership. You know, sometimes we, we see those things in history and how they took place through bad leadership. And um, I got a, a history story, you know, I, like I said, I was all right at the history part of the small group, but um, in 338 BC, Philip II of Macedonia defeated the Persian army. This is a pretty amazing feat. This is pretty amazing, okay? And if you know Philip II, he had a, a son who was pretty great, Alexander the Great, actually. Um, and Alexander the Great would eventually take over his father's empire and implement some really strategic things that I'm actually thankful for that helped advance the gospel in some ways. And I'm not going to get super deep into Hellenization and everything, but his spread of it and creating this thing called lingua franca, which actually meant common language, created an opportunity for people to be able to understand and communicate with one another better. So he had these really strategic and amazing things but there's this asterisk that we remember back with Alexander the Great's name. He accomplished all of these amazing things, but when he passed away one day, he didn't empower anyone else to step up to take over the empire that he had set. And he created this whole timeline that was called the Diadachi, and I believe I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm wrong, come and talk to me afterwards. I'll learn it. Um, but this started a line of huge division See, in this diadachi, his friends, his family, and rival generals were all fighting at one another to try to take over the power and the position that Alexander the Great had. If I can bring this into more modern times, imagine one day you pass away with a million-dollar um, check, and you don't have that check assigned to anyone in your will. You're about to create the largest amount of division in your family that you've ever seen. So what essentially happened is we look back at Alexander the Great and we've seen some of the things that happened in his life and they were good things, but when we remember him, there is this asterisk that says didn't empower others, didn't create peace in his passing. He, he created division. And this reminds us of something this morning. This story reminds us of something. There is a need, a great need, for people to be good leaders. There is a great need for people to be leaders. In Lauren's school, actually, she's over at Willard North, they have this amazing program for elementary students. They have this program that goes through this thing called the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders. And they actually do one for these elementary students called Leader in Me. And I think it's so strategic that this school is actually implementing leaders at this young of an age because they see the, the, uh, the positive effects of developing leadership in students. We don't just need leaders, though, friends. We need godly leaders. We need godly leaders. We need people who are advocating on behalf of the King of Kings and his authority. We need godly leaders. And to be honest with you, when I grew up and would hear some sermons related to this idea of leadership, I would kind of disconnect myself a little bit from it. I'd be like, okay, well, 
I work, I'm in a school right now, as for example, for you high school, middle schools. I'm in school, so what do I do with this? And I wanna say, this isn't reserved for those in places of position. Leadership isn't just reserved for those who are in position. You know, it's not just for CEOs, it's not just for pastors, it's not just for teachers. It's, leadership is an opportunity that we can all take to grow. And you know, not necessarily every Christian will be quote unquote a leader, but every Christian should lead. Oh, you hear me. Not every Christian will be that quote unquote leader, but every Christian should lead. You may never necessarily lead from a place of position, but you should lead from a place of identity. You might never lead from a place of position, but you should lead from your place of identity. I mean, I want you to think about it. The mission of God in itself is not inherently apathetic. This isn't an apathetic mission. This is a mission that's driving. It's a mission that drives us to go from a place of, of lacking something into a place of driving something. We want to be people who aren't apathetic in the mission of God. I mean, at the heart of the Great Commission is go. So today, what I want us to do is I want us to go to the book of Joshua, and I want us to see a story of a man who actually was empowered, a story of a man who was set up for success by the great leader Moses. So we're going to be diving in today in Exodus 17. And just to give you a little bit of backstory before we dive into that, in Exodus 15, only two chapters before, they had been brought through the Red Sea. Moses had done something amazing. God did something incredible for these Israelites. Now they're moving on. They're complaining about manna. They're moving on. They're trying to figure out where's water coming from. And they're getting set up. And all of a sudden, we come to find out who this leader Joshua is. So we're going to dive into Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. And we're going to learn who was Joshua. The text says, While the people of Israel were still at Raphidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. So this is our first encounter with Joshua in the Old Testament. And there's some things that we, I think, can come to grips with here that we first learn about Joshua. But one of the first things we see is Joshua was for Yahweh, God. Joshua was for God. Okay, when we, when we look at exactly what's happening here, Joshua was an obedient fighter in the Israelite army. And that meant one thing. If he was in this Israelite army, he believed that Yahweh was able to do something special. Okay, he believed that Yahweh was the king of kings. The second thing we see in this text, actually, is Joshua was teachable. If we're trying to understand some leadership principles here, Joshua was a teachable leader. What we see here immediately, actually, in verse uh, 10, Joshua did what Moses had commanded. 
So that's something really important for us to understand, and I think this is something that we have to keep our focus on, especially as we continue through the text and looking at Joshua, that Joshua's ability to be teachable here is almost like a foundation for him as he moves forward. It reveals to us that Joshua had humility under his leadership. Joshua was teachable, and God was for Joshua. So we're going to move forward a little bit to Exodus 24, verses 9 through 18. It says here, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though those nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. Stay there, and I will give you tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and Hur are here with you, and if anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So there's something that's really strategic that's going on here, friends, especially as we're looking at these, these, these elders of Israel going up this mountain. This isn't just for the sake to say we want to go see this pretty view of these mountains, right? But there's strategy that these are literally preparation days for these leaders of Israel. God is trying to prepare them for the future of something, right? And there's something that I think when we look at Joshua, there's a lesson that we have to understand that God is trying to empower something in Joshua. There's an empowerment stage that's going to be taking place in his life because clearly the Lord has strategic plans for the life of Joshua. See, Joshua actually in this verse is referred to here as Moses' assistant. In verse 13, he says, so Moses and his assistant Joshua set out. So that in its very self, I think, is a stage of empowerment that Moses takes from seeing Joshua overwhelm this Amicalite army to saying, now Joshua, I've seen that you're faithful in this step. I want you to come and be my assistant. I want you to watch a little bit more about what I'm doing. And this is God creating this opportunity for him. But because Joshua is referred here as Moses' assistant, I believe when we read verses 16 through 17, that it actually points us to seeing something really strategic here. So it says, in 13 especially, when Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, Moses climbed up the mountain, and Moses told the elders, stay and wait for us until we come back. Moses disappeared into this cloud as they left these elders down, right? But I believe that his assistant Joshua would be heading up this way with him as well. 
So it's not simply Moses who's going up for this preparatory time. It's not just Moses who's going up for 40 days and 40 nights. But I believe that we see Joshua going up for this timeline as well. Because Joshua was an obedient assistant and wouldn't just leave his leader going up to these clouds by himself. He would be staying and waiting to make sure that his leader was safe. If this is the leader of the Israelite army that God had set forth, you're going to do everything you can to protect this person, right? So Joshua would have stayed behind and remained obedient and faithful in these 40 days and nights. You know, when I think about the thing that God was going to be doing as Joshua, I I can't imagine looking back and seeing the destruction of this group of people and then seeing this Sinai moment when God is calling these people close to him so that they can learn and prepare for this battle. I can't imagine what that would have done for his preparation. God was clearly preparing Joshua for something special in this moment, okay? So sometime later, after Joshua had remained faithful, after Moses had accomplished everything that he could have accomplished and all that he had been called to, this shift of leadership had taken place. Joshua was now going to be taking up the mantle of the promise that Yahweh had given Moses was passed away now, and now Joshua was taking up this mantle that he'd been prepared for through his obedience, through his faithfulness, through his preparation. Now is the time for Joshua to step up. In Joshua 1, 1 through 9, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The culmination of all of Joshua's faithfulness, his preparation, his obedience, his submission to godly leadership, and all of his learning has taken place. And this promise that God had set forth in Moses' heart that the Israelites someday would go to the promised land and that they would inherit all of this land now needs to continue. It now needs to take place. And now Joshua needs to be the one to take the promise forward that God had burdened in Moses' heart. See, this is where the learning gets put to application. This is, this is what I would imagine, friends, to be one of the most difficult moments of my life. We all have mentors in our life in some way or some capacity, someone who's really invested in us, someone who's been a a spiritual father to us in some way. Now imagine your spiritual father being Moses. 
That's, pretty, that's a pretty big title to live up to, right? Those are some pretty big shoes to fill, right? So not only are you continuing this promise forward, but you have 40,000 Israelites who are putting the expectation on you to be the same leader. And I think we're going to learn and continue to learn that there are some really important lessons that we have to learn because this position, friends, that, Joshua, that God gave to Joshua wasn't an accident. God didn't just look at Joshua and say, yeah, you'll, you seem fit. I'll hand this off to you. This was strategic. God was strategic in who he empowered this to go to. It was orchestrated by God, and now Joshua needed to move the promise forward. But do you notice the running theme here as God's speaking to Joshua? He had to say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. It tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that God knows Joshua's heart. God knows Joshua's insecurities. God knows the depths of the person who he called to be his leader, didn't he? Right? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I just like you. Um, but let me ask you this. Insecurity after overwhelming the Amicalites. Joshua has insecurity after that. Insecurity after fighting all these people looking up on the mountain and seeing Moses' arms raised and seeing the work of God. Insecurity after going on Mount Sinai with your leader Moses and seeing the way God revealed himself to them. Insecurity. And I think it teaches us something really important here, friends. This teaches something really important. That it could not be about our own leading. It cannot be about our own works that are the things that make us great leaders. It shows here that Joshua still has to have reliance on the power of God. I really believe that we see insecurity in Joshua the leader because he realizes by his own strength, he could never be enough to move this Israelite army forward. By Joshua's own abilities, his own strength, it would never be enough to get overcome all these people and inherit the promised land. Sure, he's insecure, right? I look at my own abilities, and sometimes before I walk up on this stage, friends, I get nervous. <laughs> but I realize if it's just Nick Koth coming up here to speak, it's not enough. I have to rely on the power of God that he has a message to speak to people. So we have to rely on the power of God that he has something set forth in the hearts of us that he can move forward his mission and his vision. Amen? So it teaches us that. It teaches us that Joshua on his own strength could never stop this Jordan River. So we're going to jump forward a little bit further, and this is setting the scene a little bit. This is before the Israelites go into Jericho. But before they get to Jericho, they come face to face with this massive river, the Jordan River. And this isn't just some kind of like splishy, splishy pond, right? Like <laughs> They can get themselves across that, no problem. But this is trying to get 40,000 soldiers and all of their things with them to cross over this water. This is, I think, one of the biggest leaps of faith that we see, actually, when we look at the story of Joshua. This is his first major culmination of leadership. This is one of the first moments that he actually has the opportunity to say, God, I need you to overcome this, or we won't literally cross into the inherited area, right? So we're going to read. It says this. This is Joshua 3. 1 through 17. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. 
After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in all the eyes of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And verse 17 says, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. God ceased the moving of this river for them. You see, this is amazing to me because I believe when Joshua was probably seeing Moses part this Red Sea in his head, he's thinking, this God's for real. (laughs) And would he ever do this again? Would he ever do this again? What need would he have to do this again? And I think for one of the first moments of Joshua's leadership, for God to say, you see this river, Joshua? I want you to empower my priests to go out there with my presence, the Ark of the Covenant, that was a representation of it, to be God's presence with them, to walk into the middle of this river and stand there, and this ground will be dry. It will be dry. And what a moment for Joshua to have to have the faith to believe that moving God's promise forward would actually happen. This insecure leader who knew that his leader helped overcome all of that wondering if God would do it again for the Israelites, and having 40,000 people watch you and say, are you going to really send our, our priests in there with the Ark of the Covenant? Watching your move as the new leader, and it shows that Joshua believed in the God of Israel. He believed that God could overcome that. This isn't me trying to make a thing where I'm like, if you believe hard enough, yeah, definitely, like, all of these things can happen. But what I'm trying to say is God spoke to him, that this is what would overcome and this is what would come to pass. And Joshua didn't just let that vision and that dream pass. He said, I'm going to put my steps to this and believe in you, Lord. And I will see this overcome in Jesus. In your name, Lord. I will see this overcome. They crossed on dry ground. The Israelites crossed on dry ground. It's amazing. If I was to summarize, friends, what some of the things we see in Joshua's leadership, I'd say this. We see a leader who had a mentor investing in him. It wasn't just one of those things where Joshua all of a sudden was an Israelite and he said, yeah, I'll be leader. That's going to be my position. He had Moses who took the time out of his schedule of leading people to say, I want you to come aside me, Joshua. I think there's some potential in you. I see the Lord doing a great work in you. And this was clearly a part of the Lord's plan because God chose Joshua to be the next leader of the Israelites. Moses was one of the greatest leaders I can only imagine following, but Joshua even saw his leader have a moment of weakness, which is why we saw Moses not able to actually go completely to the promised land. It teaches us something that even though when we have mentors investing in us, our mentors may fail at some point. But does that diminish our opportunity of finding mentors? Does that diminish us finding people to invest in us? Absolutely not. I need people investing in me. 
I go out and search people to invest in me because I don't know it all. <laughs> Joshua had a, we see a leader who had a mentor investing in him. I think in addition of what I'd say in Joshua's leadership is we see a leader who prioritized listening to God. I believe that God was speaking to Joshua and prepping him for the things that the Lord wanted to do in that Sinai area. In that 40 days and 40 nights, I, I can't imagine the things that the Lord was prepping inside of him. If we find out that, if we see here, Joshua was an insecure person and his reliance had to be that much more. I think we also see, friends, that we have a leader that we see in Joshua who advanced the mission that God had set. We also see this wasn't a, a mission that God created in Joshua. This was a mission that God had created before Joshua. That can be sometimes hard, I would imagine, to say, well, God, aren't you going to instill something new within me? But he was obedient because this was the mission God wanted to complete. Joshua was a teachable leader who wanted to push for the mission that God had set forth inside of him. He helped the Israelites get to the land that they had been promised. See, friends, I, I think sometimes we can see these stories and disassociate ourselves from them. Because when we see a story like Joshua, we, we see one leader hearing from God speaking over the people. And, and we see God doing amazing things through that one leader, especially in a story like the Israelites. But guys, God takes us from the Old Testament of using a select few to hear his voice through prophets and leaders and high priests to now all of us can hear the voice of God. He takes us from the Old Testament where only a select few can hear from God and hear his mission for us. But now he takes us to the New Testament where now we can all have the ability to hear the voice of God so we can lead in some capacity that he might put on our heart. We don't have an excuse to say, well, I guess I just didn't hear. Like God wants to speak to us to communicate his mission and his vision for us. He wants to speak to us. Remember I said at the beginning, you may, never, you may not ever necessarily lead from a place of position. You may never be that CEO. You might never be in a teacher but you should always lead from a place of identity, of who you are in Christ. You can lead as a disciple. The very heart of the idea of leading people to Christ is taking them with us under our wing, walking beside them and discipling these people. It's leadership. It's leadership. I'm not trying to say, friends, that the term disciple is synonymous with being a leader because I don't think when we accept Christ, we're just like, well, now I'm a great leader. I don't think it happens that fast. But you should lead. We should invest in leading as a part of our identity. People should look at disciples and followers of Christ and say, that's a great leader. I think this is a really important thing that we should invest in, friends. This isn't a new concept either. When we look in the book of Acts in 6, it says this, but the, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. 
These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. These men had some experience, friends. When the disciples were trying to figure out you know, who is going to take over this very important program? They didn't want to see impartiality taking place. It says it at the beginning. There was some struggle that were happening. So they said, we want to make sure that the leaders who are going to be over this food program will be close to God. We want to make sure that people like Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, will be leading this ministry so that it will flourish. Like I said, this wasn't just some kind of Accident And godly leadership, friends, like I said, is not an accident that we all of a sudden attain. Even the story of Joshua, we see, had so much application. This is a discipline, friends. Leadership is a discipline that we have to set among ourselves for the sake of growth, for the sake of hearing God's word to us, and for the sake of seeing God's kingdom flourish. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up at this moment. But I really want you to think about that. Godly leadership is not some accident that we all of a sudden get to. It's not about my natural talent and abilities. Godly leadership isn't about how charismatic I am. Godly leadership isn't about, I woke up one day and I made this great vlog and now I'm a great leader, you know what I'm saying? But I can grow in communicating and strategizing in other areas. Like, that's important. Those things are important to develop our leadership. But without God, it doesn't matter. I'm just creating another vision for my own agenda. We don't need more of that. We don't need more self-seeking agenda. We need to hear what God is putting on our hearts. We need to grow and discipline ourselves to hearing the voice of God. We need to grow and discipline ourselves to tuning ourselves to set aside our priorities and hear what the Lord is trying to challenge us in. Like I said, it's not about my influence on social media. It's not about those things. But I do want to say, friends, leaders do have followers. Our examples the ones we even read today had followers. Joshua had people who were following him. Jesus had the 12 disciples who followed him. We have countless stories of disciples having followers and listening to them. So let me ask this, who are the followers you're investing in? Who are the people who you're taking the time out of your schedule to say, I wanna make sure that this person hears the voice of God for the future as well. I wanna sit and teach them Moses was, it seems, patient with his assistant. He let him come and see what the Lord was doing. You know, I think about how when I was in my time in Chi Alpha, I was empowered to take an opportunity to be a small group leader. I remember how insecure and worried I was about that first step, feeling the nerves of, Lord, who wants to hear me? And right at that moment, God called that out. He said, it's not about you. I don't want to hear you. You don't got squat, but bad puns. <laughs> <laughs> they want to hear from me. They want to grow close to me. Create a godly community. Invest in them. Serve them. Love them. I think one of the hardest parts, guys, of seeing ourselves in leadership capacities is because we limit what we're capable of. We limit what we're capable of from our natural abilities. Of course. But has God not shown us enough of how he overcomes inherent weakness? 
Have we not seen how God took the insecurities of Joshua to overcome those and to inherit the promised land that he set out forth before him? Did we not see when God empowered Nehemiah, the cupbearer for the king, to go build the wall of Jerusalem? Do we not see how God took shabby Nick Koth and empowered him to come speak today? Do we not see how he has overcome our weaknesses for his glory? These broken spades, and he's doing something with them. He's doing a great work with broken spades. Praise God, right? Praise God. What more does he have to prove? He can overcome our inherent weaknesses. I don't know what kind of visions God is preparing inside of you. I don't know what kind of groups he wants you to invest in. I don't know what people he's setting forth for you. But God is speaking today, friends. God is speaking something. And in the same way that Moses heeded God's word, in the same way that Joshua continued to be obedient, and in the same way the disciples listened to Jesus, we have the biblical model that these great leaders submitted to God's word and they flourished in some ways. But when they didn't listen and they listened to their own agendas and those agendas took precedence, we saw failure because we are inherently weak without God. We need to lead, friends, but we need to lead by the wisdom and guidance of God. We need to lead by the wisdom and guidance of God. So our response this morning is going to be a little bit different. I think oftentimes we, we get busy, we get caught up in the hecticness of life. We don't take the time to even dream of where God could take us. I want to tell you, I think God can take each and every one of us somewhere we've never even fathomed. Somewhere that we never knew. I never knew ministry was in the cards for me. Me and Tyler were roommates back in 2012, 2013. We never knew that this is where we'd be someday. Who would have thought? But God has plans and things that he wants to put in our hearts. So for our response today, I want to give the time so for our response, we're going to be doing a song that's a little bit new that you haven't had the opportunity to hear before. But I want you just to pause and close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you asking me to do today? What kind of leadership lesson are you trying to invest in me? Who are you wanting me to go invest in, God? What do I need to stop doing? What do you need to challenge me in today, God? God.